I want people to think of me when I leave this earth to say, he inspired me to be a better person. I think that we all do that in our own ways. Kobe did it through sports and as a public figure and as a father and as a husband. And Gianna did that even in her own short life as a young athlete. Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast that gives you news you can trust for the culture. I'm your co-host, Shauna Pinnock, Social Media Director at The Grio. And I'm your co-host, Jaron Keith Gaynor, Managing Editor at The Grio. And this week we're asking, Dear Culture, was the loss of Kobe and Gianna Bryant preparing us for the tragic surprises 2020 would bring us? But before we even get into all that, do you know the deal? What is on your mind this week? We have to also first say that this episode is playing after the inauguration of President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. And I'm not sure if you watched the, the CNN special hosted by Abby Phillips, but it was a really phenomenal, I would call it a documentary that really followed the life of Kamala Harris from birth up until her history making moment. And it reminded me that one, I think a lot of people on the internet, Black Twitter, got Kamala Harris wrong. I think when you really watch that documentary, you realize that not only was she pro-Black, but she really understood the space that she occupied as a prosecutor and as a Black woman. And she was doing things as a prosecutor in San Francisco that had never been done before. And also, she's at the intersection of so many things. She's the daughter of immigrants. She's mixed race. She found love later in life. I think that that's aspiring for a lot of not just women, but people who feel like they have to find love at a certain age. She has a blended family. She's a stepmom, or, or as they call her, Mamala. And she just represents, I think, everything that America should be. Just this melting pot of diversity. And the takeaway for me was that Kamala Harris, while she is the vice president-elect and soon to be vice president by the time this airs, but it's very clear from watching her story and seeing the way in which the Biden administration has centered Kamala Harris, that she has next, that she is for sure going to run for president someday, soon, probably sooner than we think. And I think that America will be certainly ready for her to become president. And I hate to have this discussion while we're about to inaugurate a new president. I don't want to overshadow the legacy of Joe Biden, who has spent a lifetime of public service for this country. And I think there's no one more deserving at this very moment because we need someone who can unify people. But I, I also want to acknowledge that Kamala Harris is a force in her own right. And quite honestly, I would venture to say that Kamala Harris is the most formidable woman in political history. And she's the highest ranking woman in American politics. Woman, Black woman, South Asian American woman. So I'm really proud of her. And I just can't wait to see these next four years. And I'm so excited to see Donald Trump leave the White House and we never have to call him. I won't call him President Trump, but I'm just really ecstatic. Well, I've never called him president in anything. So that's <laughs> just me being petty. And I haven't seen the special yet. It's in the queue. <laughs> you know, so much content. But I think for me, just seeing, especially during like the primaries, how much vitriol that Kamala got from not just them, but a lot of us. So I'm glad to hear that that's what the special was given you a little bit more information and background on her because people get so, and especially us, and when I say us, white people, if you're listening, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about Black folks. When I say one thing that frustrated me so much and continues to is how willing we are to tear down one another because we don't feel like we got there in the right 
way. And when I say in the right way, I mean, like, for whatever reason, Black folks are always expecting, like, the super militant, woke, you know, they're expecting me to be, (laughs) to get to the level of vice president or attorney general and everything else. Like, no, that's not how that works. Like, unfortunately, we as people of color, we understand that we always have to tiptoe that line. And there's only so much that they will let us do, especially as you're trying to climb those ladders, as you're trying to bust through these glass ceilings. So I'm just so proud of her. And let's also acknowledge that Kamala Harris stands as a prime example of, now I'm going to talk to you white people. Dear white people, especially those in education, especially those who are guidance counselors, please stop telling young Black kids not to go to HBCUs because of lack of finances and resources, or that there's not enough diversity or whatever the hell else. HBCUs, Spelman Grant, here are out here giving us vice president's first woman and first black person a vice president of the united states so uh, shut your mouth don't talk about things that you don't know and let us have our moment but yes for me on the other side of that i wanted to talk about someone by the name of i believe it's riley june william i call her velma because that's what she looked like in these capital riots videos just like a nerdy little girl with these glasses and this, you know short brunette bob thing going on and And she made headlines this week because witnesses saw her on video taking a laptop or a hard drive, some kind of device from Nancy Pelosi's office during the riots, during what I like to call the terrorist attack, the domestic terrorist attack. And supposedly, according to witnesses and friends, and she was trying to sell that device to the Russians. Oh, (laughs) okay. So jinkies, here's a great idea. What is wrong with you? Like, I am baffled as to how these people believe that they are doing America a service. Like, I'm sorry, you're trying to sell what to Russians? How is that supposed to help democracy? Listen, if you want to be with Putin in it, Vladimir got openings. You can go ahead, get on a plane. Donnie's not going to pardon you. I mean, between today and tomorrow, who knows? But I don't think, unless he's pardoning at 11.59 a.m. But... Girl, <laughs> this, I mean, I'm baffled at how these people think that what they're doing is justified, what they're doing is right, what they're doing is patriotic. Like I said it last week. And as you know, Jared, I got very emotional last week, had let all my thug tears go, you know, to know that this is what our country is breeding from the inside is insanity to me. And these are the same exact people who would look at you and me, Jaren, who would have our valid complaints about this country. And they will tell us, well, why don't you go back to Africa? First off, fool, you brought me here. <laughs> Let's get it right. Mm-mm, you brought me here. So hush, one. And two, I love this country more than you do. And because I love it, I can critique it. Because I love it, I can say when there are people inside of it who are trash. And y'all are trash. I'm sorry. MAGA, Nazis, neo-Nazis, whatever the hell you want to call it. You're trash. You're not patriots. You're un-American. And quite frankly, you need to go back to the bells of hell where you came from. That's where I'm with it. But 
let's go ahead and get into this week's episode. Unfortunately, this week, or rather next week, is going to be really tough. I think if there was a phrase to describe 2020, it would have to be expect the unexpected and basically stay prayed up. I mean, if you think about it, the year began with a tragedy that shook the entire world. (sighs) Next week marks a year since a helicopter crash took the lives of Kobe Bryant, his 13-year-old daughter Gianna, and seven others traveling with them. And I think 2020 was overwhelmed by so much loss. But today, we want to take a moment to reflect on the life and legacy of super athlete, global icon, businessman, friend, husband, father, the Black Mamba, Kobe Bryant. You know, Shauna, it's sad to say, but when you think about Kobe's death and it being the start of 2020, do you think that that was preparing us for the amount of tragedy, the onslaught of tragedy that we ultimately saw in 2020? I wouldn't say it prepared because everything that happened in 2020 just felt like it was a rolling wave. It was one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. You know, shortly after Kobe passed and we're still reeling from that, then you find out you can't even go nowhere. Like, <laughs> here comes COVID with her raggedy ass, like just shutting down all of the things. You know, I've seen so many of my friends who have lost family members, parents, grandparents, siblings to COVID, to seeing how depression has really taken a toll on so many of us during this time. No, I don't think it prepared us for anything. I think it gave us a sneak preview and I was not a fan. It's crazy. I remember the day that all of that happened. It's like embedded in my memory forever because it was a Sunday and I was off work. I'm just at home and I kid you not, I had a glass of wine next to me. It's the afternoon. I had a glass of wine next to me. I was watching Netflix and I have TMZ alerts on my phone because we work in news and you know, we got to know when things are breaking. And And I got the alert on my phone and I remember going, what? Like, and just the expletives came out of my mouth. And Jaren, as you know, I immediately texted you, Todd, Natasha, Marielle, like, y'all, what is going on? What's happening? And we had to essentially rally the troops. Every single person that works for the grill was working that day. I don't think I've ever experienced anything like that ever. Like I recall even when Nipsey got killed, when Nipsey Hussle was shot. Yeah, but we were at the office and you know that stuff happened and we're like okay here we go Kobe was an insane thing because not only was it just like breaking news and we have to compartmentalize that as we're in our business you know in our careers but also having to carry that grief remember at one point the Twitter was trying to kill off poor Rick uh, (laughs) poor Rick Fox you know we thought he might have been on the plane and there were those kind of rumors and then it was confirmed that Gigi was on the plane with him and no I was not prepared (laughs) not 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 at all. I don't think I've cried so hard since like maybe Whitney or someone who I've never met or known. What about you? Yeah, I like that you said it was a sneak peek because it definitely was, you know, in hindsight, it was a sneak peek to a really disastrous year Mm -hmm. for many people and just the first of many, many tens of thousands of deaths, millions if you count globally, and not just because of the coronavirus, but because of police violence and so many other tragedies that kind of got lost in the conversation about the pandemic. But to that point, you know, the fact that 
so much death came after Kobe, I kind of feel like we never really got the chance to really grieve Kobe Bryant's death, you know, properly. Would you agree with that? I definitely think so. It was just one thing after the other, after the other, where it was just like, God, if you're ready to just take us, just take us. Like, this is so much. It was, ugh, it's insane when you really think about it. But one thing that was touching to me was seeing how so many people came out and talked about not just their love for Kobe and all of the amazing things that he did, but also little Gigi. You know, that 13-year-old was, listen, the little black mambita, if you want to call it, you know. Oh, wait, no, mambasita. That was it. <laughs> like, that little girl made such an impression in her short 13 years of life. And it made me just wonder, Jaren, what do you think that Kobe and Gianna's passing taught you about, you know, your own legacy and leaving a legacy for your family moving forward? That's a really powerful question. And as you were talking about Gianna, I started to tear up because, you know, you almost forget that not only were nine lives lost, but children lost. And she was so young. And you can't make sense of these kind of tragedy. Even as a spiritual person, it can be difficult to really grasp your mind around the loss of a child. And she was so young. And when I think about legacy, I don't think about how much money, you know, one acquires and not even success. I think success is important in that, you know, if the work that I did was of service, that it moved people to be better human beings. I would want my legacy to be someone who inspired and left people feeling good about themselves. I want people to think of me when I leave this earth to say, he inspired me to be a better person. I think that we all do that in our own ways. Kobe did it through sports and as a public figure and as a father and as a husband and just Gianna did that even in her own short life as a young athlete who was bubbly and had so much personality and was confident. Your legacy is how you make people feel and the memory that you leave behind and not the things that you acquire. And I think that the death of Kobe and Gianna and all of those perish in that plane crash was a reminder that maybe some of the things we think are important aren't really that important after all, because we expected Kobe to just rise and be more successful. And I think our definition or our understanding of success changed through seeing someone so accomplished mm -hmm. and so young die in such a tragic way. Yeah, I said it before on this show, a Hamilton reference. I imagine that's so much it feels more like a memory. So we've talked about my very morbid habit of thinking of certain things where I'm like, oh, if I were to die right now, would the people that I love know that I love them? Even if we like say my mama pissed me off that day and we got into an argument or something like that. And I was like, but if I were to go right now, would she be comforted in knowing that, yeah, that little spat that we had was nothing. You know how much I love you, et cetera, et cetera. I tend to, again, a morbid fascination with death. I tend to be a person who I think of certain things. So like, say if I hang out with, well, it's been well over a year now, but say if I hang out with my line sisters who I'm like extremely close to, and there are moments where my mind would drift of like, if I were to be gone this time next year, would they be able to, you know, have like these great memories of me and of us hanging out together? What would people think of? You know, I think of what if I were to die tomorrow? Would my coworkers be hurt? <laughs> and the crazy thing is, in a weird way, what's kind of comforting to me is I know that, yes, they would. You know, listen, I have my Griot fam and I call y'all my family for a reason. And no, you don't want people to feel bad per se. You don't want people to feel pain. But to know that I am doing 
just by living my life the way that I do in transparency and just freely as I live me. Jaren, you're very aware of how I am in like real life. To know that I'm surrounded by people who love me and appreciate me for all of who I am, who I'd never have to dim my light for them. I know that if I were, God forbid, oh, not, not now, Lord. You know, if I were to leave tomorrow, I would know that I left this place better. And I mean, to me, that's just one of those things. Like I have been a great daughter. I believe I've been a great friend. I believe I've been a great coworker, boss, you know, granddaughter, niece, all of these things, sister. Uh, and I can only hope that I continue to live my life in that way. To me, that's what my legacy is. Every single day, just trying to work on just being good to the people that I love and being good to people that I don't even know, you know, just be a good person. I think that that's all my legacy is at this point. I ain't got no money. I ain't got, <laughs> I have no trophies or accommodations or businesses to go and throw out there. But what I do have is a legacy of, I think, being a good person who loves and cares about people and who's also a little bit shady and that's fine too. <laughs> I have to say that that's something that I love about you, Shauna. You're just someone who, what you see is what you get, but you wear your heart and your sleeve too. I think that there's something really courageous and inspiring about the way that you so confidently move through life. And I know that that's something that I had absorbed working with you over the past year. But I want to transition to, we're talking about grief and you know it can be really challenging getting through grief. How do you find positivity in moments of grief or challenges in life? So I'm not a person who really, in all honesty, has dealt with a lot of grief in terms of like loss of family members or friends. There have only been like a few big tragedies and really they're not even tragedies. Like, you know, one of the closest people to me, my mom's mom, my granny passed away when I was about 15, 16. It's also why I don't do hospitals and I don't do funerals. It's very hard for me. I remember, you know, the passing of my granny we will not cry two weeks in a row. The passing of my granny was really difficult for me, especially remembering like the last time that I saw her, she was kind of hooked up to tubes and stuff. But funny enough, it's going to get kind of weird. My family, especially like my mother's side of the family, we believe that we have, some people call it the I, whatever, you know, kind of frou-frou nonsense. But I am a firm believer that my granny is like always with me. I have a picture of her in my bedroom. I don't talk to it every day or anything like that, but you know, every so often I like catch it. I'm like, hey girl, I'm thinking about you. You know, miss you granny. Pretty sure my grandmother was playing tricks on me and my mother. <laughs> she was a trickster because things would like, we know we left these keys here. <laughs> Why are the keys that were, we know we left and ain't nobody else in this house. How did they get all the way over there or by the door or in the plant pot? Like who's moving these keys? They're like, this is granny playing joke. And even when I moved downstairs into my apartment, which my uncle and my step-grandfather used to live here, who are not related to my mom's mom, right? I moved into this apartment and as we were cleaning out everything and kind of like ripping up the carpets and everything else, I found a picture of my grandma grandmother from her funeral in one of the desks that we were cleaning out. And I said to my mom, I was like, did you give Uncle Mikey a picture of granny? And she's like, no. I was like, how the hell? Like, <laughs> how did this picture get here? And my mom goes, listen, she's like, she's here to let you know that you'll be okay. You'll be fine. And like, this house is blessed and you're good. So I always think of just good moments. You know, I think of like, my granny was a wrestling fan, but she never, she just didn't want to see someone get beat up. So she would change her loyalties <laughs> during the like middle of a match. She loved peppermint. So on her birthday, we get these big old balls of peppermint. So we'll drink some peppermint tea or something like that. And even, you know, like I said, I walk with my 
my parents every day. I try and like, Shonda Rhimes wrote a book, Say Yes. Yes, she wrote a book, Say Yes. And in kind of like the prologue of the book, she talks about one of her biggest fears, which is also mine, is like Alzheimer's, right? So she tries to think of her brain and her memories as like a blank wall and she's just hanging. Memories are paintings that she's hanging on there and you're just hoping that they stay there. I'm the same type of way. So I think of game nights with my parents, you know, and like my father cheating and stealing letters for Scrabble. I think of, you know, the amount of walks that we had, just the laughs and stuff that we have. And I try and take those memories and hang those paintings on the wall of my mind because one day they're not going to be here. But I know that I can be able to hold on to those things and be like, okay, I'll figure out a way to get through. Also, you know, whenever my mom goes prayerfully decades from now, I'm probably going to hear her voice telling me to, you know, get your ish together and get over it. What the hell are you doing here crying? (laughs) You got work to do because that's my mom. So yeah, what about you? has different stages and cycles. I too have had a serious loss. I've talked about it before, my father. And I can honestly say that I don't get sad anymore so much when I think about my dad's loss. It's now been 10 years, actually. This year will be 10 years. Mm. And the reason is because, similar to your point about your grandmother and his experiences of having her still around, I really do believe that as spiritual beings in physical bodies, that when we die, we just transform. We don't really die. We don't really go away. And this is really good Netflix documentary or show called Surviving Death. And it talks about people who have these near-death experiences, but then they have experiences connecting with the dead. And for some people, it might be a little too much and it might be like, there's just no way this is witchcraft. But I personally do believe truly in spirituality. And because I know that my dad is still around me, to your point, I find ways to conjure up his spirit, if you will. I talk to him, especially when I meditate. I think about the memories that we share. I think about the love that we still share and how that never leaves you. And so in times of grief, you're comforted in knowing that love doesn't die just because a person dies in the physical form, that love just transforms. Love is expansive. Love, it's an energy that's unable to be destroyed. And I hold on to that love of him and and others in my family who I've lost. And I encourage anyone who is experiencing grief during this time or who will encounter grief that you hold on to that understanding that you might not be able to see them, but like God, they're still there. It's deep, G. It's deep. (laughs) But before we even get started to the next question, let's do a little bit of a throwback. We've got a 1998 interview between Kobe Bryant and our boss. We like to call him Uncle Byron, CEO of Entertainment Studios, Byron Allen. Let's check it out. When you finish with the game of basketball, and I know that's way down the line for you since you're still a teenager, what do you think you'd like to do? Raise my family. That's a job in itself. <laughs> Especially for my mother, I know growing up, it was like a full-time job raising kids. Uh, so when I retire from the game, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, God willing, I'll be married, have a couple kids, uh, be able to support them, take care of them, and you know, watch my children grow up. That'll be a perfect case scenario for me. So, Gene, one of the themes that swept the world after the passing of Kobe was hashtag girl dad. What did that hashtag mean to you? The first word that comes to mind is like protection. You know, I think of so many of my girlfriends have beautiful relationships with their fathers. And I think that not just young girls, but children want to be protected and loved. And when you hear girl dad, I hear pride. I hear a man who is proud to be the father of beautiful daughters and how the lives of his children gave him a new understanding of life and it transformed him. It was clear. And I loved how Girl Dad became its own phenomenon after Kobe's death. 
so many people were on the internet hashtag girl dad and some people were like misusing it yes. <laughs> <laughs> y'all do not follow directions yeah but i think it's such a beautiful cool way to show your pride and, and love for being a father to young girls because i talked about this last week and during the capital riots conversation that women especially black women and black girls are often not protected by the government and by law enforcement and so by and large it's usually the dad and the mom who is there to protect them even when the world is unkind and that's what i think about when i think about girl dad what about you so you know girl dad even got started because i wish i could remember her name right now but a journalist was talking about her meeting kobe and she had said to him i think at this point the youngest one coco hadn't been born yet <laughs> i think they had just had bb who was their third daughter and she had asked kobe you know are you gonna try again for another one like how does it feel like do you want another baby are you really holding out for your boy and kobe said listen girls are great like <laughs> i love being a girl dad and that's where that whole thing kind of swept through. And I think it's one of those moments where it's like, hey, finally, finally, we can acknowledge the men who are not just sitting here just hoping that they sire an heir, right? Like, here comes the sun and yeah, whatever. I get it, men, you know, that's, that's your thing. Fine. I understand. I too, I want a daughter like who can look like me and I can guess, you know, all of that wonderfulness. But like my dad is a very proud girl dad. Again, I will tell this story on this show one day, but you know, before my prodigal brother, <laughs> I was my dad's only child. And you know, my mom loves to tell me the story of like, she got pregnant and everyone's like, oh, you know, Errol, are you hoping that you have a boy? And my dad's like, no, I want a daughter. And he was adamant. Like my father was the one responsible for naming me. And my mother goes, he had no boy names. <laughs> I was like, what? She goes, he had no boy name. She's like, if you came out a boy, he was just going to be like, well, I don't know what we're going to do because he had no boy names. He had Shauna and that was, he had my first name and my middle name and that was it. And he did not consider anything else. And I think just being able to have that moment of seeing dads who are like so proud of their little girls, of like being able to protect and love and help raise, especially little black girls. You know, to me, that's powerful. Unfortunately, there's so many of my sisters who do not have that experience with their fathers, who don't really know what that's like. And my heart breaks for them. It definitely does because it is such a beautiful thing for me. My dad, he's who every other man, you have to live up to him, plain and simple. My father is the most hardworking, you know, that's all Jamaican, but he's the most hardworking man that I've ever known. He's corny as hell, but he makes me like side of my belly laugh. He has his flaws. I'll be cussing him out. <laughs> he has his flaws. But at the end of the day, I know if I'm ever in trouble, if I ever need anything, if I'm ever hurting, my daddy is going to be the person that is there to love and protect me. And I think that's actually one of the things that's kind of comforting, even in the midst of the tragedy of Kobe and Gianna, is knowing that she was with her daddy. You know, I can kind of almost imagine him holding her and telling her, you know, it'll be okay. We're, we're still going to be together as their last moments were happening. So thank you, Kobe, girl dad. I appreciate it. Wow, that touched my heart. <laughs> I also want to just mention quickly for those who have lost their fathers, especially the young girls who lost their fathers or grown women, mm -hmm. that you're still protected, that your father is still here protecting you in the spiritual realm. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to note that because 
some people often feel like they're left alone. I remember feeling that way as well. But once you realize that they never truly leave you, it's very comforting. And this has been such a heavy episode, Shauna. Yes. <laughs> I do want to inject some positivity. But first, you know, the Griot for sure extends our condolences still to Vanessa Bryant and her beautiful daughters and sending them just positive vibrations as they continue through their journey of grief. But Shauna, my question to you is, what do you hope for Vanessa Bryant and her daughters moving forward? Well, first, and this might be, I hope it's not inappropriate to say, but for Vanessa especially, honestly, I hope she finds love again. You know, Kobe Bryant was her person, right? For the This Is Us fans, he was her Jack to her Rebecca, you know, and I can only imagine how hard that must be and, you know, heart-wrenching that must feel. It kind of reminds me of uh, Lauren London and Nipsey. Like, you lose, honestly, just probably your soulmate. But I think what I hope for her is, you know, Kobe comes to her in a dream or something and tells her, it's okay to love again. Like, I want you to feel happy and don't feel like you're betraying him or his legacy or his memory or your love. That's not at all what it is. You know, I want to see her smile and know that Behind that smile, yes, there still probably is pain, but there still is a lot of happiness and love. I truly hope that for her. And for his daughters, I hope that, especially Bibi and Coco, because they're so young, I hope they know how much their daddy loved them. Because just as a bystander, I can see how much he loved them. You know, Vanessa has been so kind to share, like, private at home, random candid photos of Kobe just holding his girls or even Gigi just loving up on her little sisters. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, I think as of the time of this taping, I think Natalia's birthday is today, the oldest daughter. So I know this has got to be a really tough time for her, but I just want to say, you know, sending all my love. I don't know if she'll ever hear this, but sending all my love to her. And I hope that she too knows that her sister is still, you know, yes, she looked up to you, but you know, she's protecting you now and your dad is as well. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> what about you, G? I'm going to steal your answers. <laughs> but more importantly, I pray that the public gives Vanessa Bryant the space and the grace to someday fall in love again. Mm. Because I know how cruel the public can be and people yeah. will ultimately make instant comparisons and or feel maybe some type of way about her moving forward. But I can attest my mom, when my dad died, not only did she have to pack up her things and move to a new city somewhere she had never been before, started all over taking care of my brother who's autistic and she eventually found love again and she is now married to her new husband who also was a friend my dad's best friend actually oh. you know it was a bit weird at first and I think that that's natural I think that as a child of someone who lost a parent you will also kind of make those comparisons and you'll feel like they're moving on without you depending on where you are in your grieving process. Mm -hmm. But there's beauty on the other side of death. And the reality is that when there's death, when you experience death, you still have to live. Mm -hmm. Life still goes on for you and your children. And I really hope that both Vanessa and the Brian daughters, they just find not just love, but peace. That they find peace knowing that they can still live their lives and still hold on to their beloved Kobe and their beloved father. Yeah. Oh, Jaren, you did not tell me that part about you. your mama. Lord, you live in a real this is us life. Your mama got <laughs> yeah, all right now. You know, while so many of us are mourning our own great losses, there is definitely something comforting about knowing that every single day we each have the ability to make choices to secure our legacy on this earth. Something that will live on to inspire generations to come. I hope that tonight is not, you know, you guys know that, 
You know, if you do the work, you work hard enough, dreams come true. You know that, we all know that. But hopefully what you get from tonight is the understanding that those times when you get up early and you work hard, those times when you stay up late and you work hard, those times when you don't feel like working, you're too tired, you don't want to push yourself, but you do it anyway, that is actually the dream. That's the dream. It's not the destination, it's the journey. And if you guys can understand that, then what you'll see happen is that you won't accomplish your dreams. Your dreams won't come true. Something greater will. And uh, if you guys can understand that, then I'm doing my job as a father. Thank you guys so much. I love you. And, uh, Mamba out. We want to remind our listeners to please support your local Black businesses and donate to your local organizations and religious institutions. The business that we will highlight this week is Brandon Blackwood NYC. This Black-owned handbag and small accessory brand brings timeless silhouettes, high-quality detailing, and unparalleled materials to the fashion game. Brandon Blackwood's pieces have been worn by actress Lupita Nyong'o and has been featured in Essence, Vogue, and Elle magazines. You can visit their website at brandonblackwood.com. The Grio has published a list of 50-plus Black businesses to support during the coronavirus pandemic. If you would like your business featured, email us at info at That's G-R-I-O.com. Thank you for listening to Dear Culture. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, share it with everyone you know. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcast at thegrio.com. The Dear Culture podcast is brought to you by The Grio, executive produced by Blue Tulusma, and co-produced by Lana Adams, Sundas Hassan, and Kevin Y. Brown. Mm-hmm.